horsing around horse latitudes of the football calendar edition. And uh, I'm Andrew Mason. Andy Lindahl is with me. And we're going to take the podcast in a little bit of a different direction here now that we are removed from OTAs and minicamp. We've still got a little while to go for training camp. Take a look back at some debates of Broncos history. Bar debates, we kind of call them. Can we get away with that on a team? Yeah, website? why not? Bar, pub debate. Come on, man. That's where sports talk was created. That's true. I used to bartend in college, and I'm telling you, it prepped me for as much as anything doing talk shows. You were a bartender. I was a bartender. Where? <laughs> it was Bennigan's off Hamden and Wadsworth in Lakewood <laughs> for the for the natives that are listening. Yeah, it was uh, it was very funny because um, they knew I was studying to do that, and so I used, I had a group of regulars that would always come in, all right, entertain me, and get the drink right. So. Well, it's funny because someone once told me that good sports talk is someone eavesdropping on a conversation at the bar. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's kind of – I learned it from Scott Hastings when yeah. he was voice of the Broncos with Dave Logan. They were the broadcast team. And Scotty, of course, I did my first shows with. And Scotty was always the master of, like you said, make everyone feel like – we want it to feel like cheers when you do a talk show. Mm-hmm. And I think podcasts sort of need to feel that same way. Now yeah. it's hard – because we don't have the ability to have people call in and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So you don't get that element of the surprise drop-in. Cheers was tape recorded, too. So there you that's go. That's true. In front of a live studio audience, As if you remember. For every show. <laughs> they do that anymore? I don't think they do that anymore, do they? I, I think they still do the studio audience, but I don't think they announce it the way it was. It was always someone different from the cast. You had the Cheers sign out front. I know way too much about this. Hey, I'm, I love Cheers. It was a great show. Norm, thank you. <laughs> you may hear us thank our waitress because we can't be rude. Yeah, we're, we're actually in the middle of eating at Big Bills. We our white pie just arrived. Oh gosh, it looks so good. That's terrific. Oh, your boy. your idea to record while we were not eating seems like not such a great idea. All of a sudden, that's all right. We so you may get some background noise you're not you're not familiar with. I'm just pretending to eat. You know, like Norm, I always want to have a bar where they knew my name when I walked in. You want everyone to yell Mace? Yeah, Mace is okay. Yeah. See, how's the world treating you, Mace? Like a baby treats a diaper. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I don't know. I, um, bar life was interesting. Bar life taught me a lot. I don't know how to say, you know what? There are a lot of good aspects to bar life. And then there's some other sad ass. I always wanted to own a bar and I feel like I still want to own a bar. But I will tell you this, I guess it's a somewhat serious note for a podcast that we're goofing around on. You start to learn about your liabilities and blue laws, and you Ooh. may rethink wanting to own a bar. I'll put it to you that way. You are pretty much you are liable for a lot of things, and you are liable for a lot of dumb behavior. Well, if it's the blue laws you're concerned about, go to Nevada. There are none? I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, there are parts of Nevada where things much... Well, you're right. Vice is much bigger Everything than drinking are, are legal, so I think you're in the clear. Hey, yeah, you know what? What would be your bar's name? This is how far I've gone. I always thought I'm going to hang up radio and just go to the bar. When they're done with me, I'll still find a way to talk sports with people. My wife and I had an idea of calling a, a bar and restaurant the Tar Heel Badger because my roots are in North Carolina and her, hers are in Wisconsin. So, so it'd be barbecue and bratwurst. What? Hey. Can I do that? That's not the worst combination. Not, I don't think I'm getting those on the same plate, though. Well, actually, now what's okay? Let me ask I have you this: had, I've had 
something. It's called the Hogzilla at Twelve Bones Barbecue in Asheville, North Carolina, <laughs> that has pulled pork, bratwurst, and bacon. Oh my god! On a roll. Yeah. Anybody live after eating all that? I've survived three of them. You've had it. Okay. Oh yes. Oh, oh Andy, come on. No, no, I know. I volunteered I know. to eat a tarantula burger. Now you haven't yet. And I don't think I, I want to see you it, do it. But I volunteered to eat it. I, I'm very much in the spirit of the late Anthony Bourdain. Uh, There's a lot of things I will try. Yeah, that's a sad, sad note. I watched that. Yeah. I think I, I've talked about it. I talked about it on air Friday, unfortunately, when it happened. Um, I used to watch those on CU flights, the uh, mm-hmm. University of Colorado, for those out of the state that listen to this podcast. I was on the University of Colorado football broadcast before joining the Broncos broadcast, and we flew up. Uh, you know the airline frontier which maybe some of you know maybe you don't but we had tv and i'd always find myself on travel channel watching his show mm-hmm. uh so anyway kind of sad news about that the other day i was going to ask you though because i don't want this to be too serious we're trying to help people have a little fun here especially now it's summertime what is the coolest place that you've been to in your travels for a football team because i, I guess technically I'm going to have to think on, during our travels, what I stumbled into. There's a place in Jack's Beach in Jacksonville, one of the first trips I took with Scott Hastings um, when I did my first game on the sidelines. It was the the time where Ruben Drones broke John Henderson's leg, if you remember that. And Marcus Stroud Mm -hmm. was the angriest man I've ever seen, and that was scary. But I went to a place in Chicago. Now, it happened to be for a buddy's wedding, so technically it wouldn't count. But it was just some dive. And there's this big Polish-looking bartender guy. I mean, tree trunks for legs. And he was making our he's making our drinks. And I realized about halfway through he'd taken our food order, which I just ordered a cheeseburger or whatever. Yeah. And there was a little grill set up set back off from the bar, and he was cooking the food too. <laughs> like the front part of it was the liquor, and the back part he was making our burgers. And it was a damn good burger. Yeah. He was good at both, but I'd never seen anything like that before. Man, coolest spot. That's. You've been to quite a few. You yeah. could do your own man versus food, couldn't you? Yeah, I. There was a spot unexpectedly, and I'm I'm a big seafood guy. I unexpectedly found in Old Town Alexandria, in Virginia, last December, night before the Broncos Redskins game, called Hank's Oyster Bar, and I ate the bar, and <laughs> it was tremendous. But I mean, it wasn't just tremendous. They had some. Holiday-themed cocktails, cranberries and stuff like that, and they were exceptional, and it's a good thing that the hotel was within walking distance because I probably had more, maybe one more than I should have. But that's right, that, that spot was right up there, and I've actually been back to it uh, since then. I'll probably try to go back there this summer when the Broncos have a preseason game. Philadelphia just was a, a great trip. Well, I, I ate my weight in, in cheesesteaks going around there. Tony Luke's, the one you recommended, that was terrific. And it, it's an interesting spot yeah. when I went there. Did yeah. you go under the viaduct? No, I had. Say you got to go to the trailer under the viaduct. That's yeah. where it's like old, old school. Yeah, I didn't go to that one. I went to another one. So, and I had I went to Jim's on South Street, which was right across the street from a place that only served poutine. Man. Oh, God. Yeah, I, the only saving grace for me that was I walked about 20 miles on that trip. What's your favorite city to visit? Just out of curiosity, because mine has got to be Seattle. Don't like the team, absolutely love the city. 
Uh, Seattle. I miss San Diego badly. Kansas City, because if we're in the right spot, you're close to Joe's Kansas City and Jack Stack. You can you can whip through two-thirds of a barbecue triathlon within walking distance of the hotel. New Orleans, I mean, that's an obvious one, and we don't go there very often. No. But New Orleans is tremendous. I've got to say, and I'm not just kissing up because we're doing the podcast together, you saved my Christmas Eve in Kansas City that one year. Like, when I look back at the Kansas City Christmas trip, I, I had a good Christmas Eve night because you and I, where did we make it out to? You got a, you had a reservation like, Andy, Jack do you want to come? That's right. So we made it to Jackstack because I was bummed out. You're right. The trip to Kansas City normally is a good one because you're going to get some great barbecue the night before a game. But we're landing at like 530. Oh, we had to haul. We had to haul. We, we had this Uber. You had it all arranged or we'd have been in trouble. Yeah, we got to the hotel, called the Uber as soon as possible. I think Jackstack closed at like seven and we got in there at about six fifteen or so and you put me on smoked wings which were the most incredible things i'd ever had i mean it's all good there but their smoked wings are absolutely just have so to, good i have to thank our old friend kyle Sonneman for that because kyle was the one who he, he swore by the smoked wings i had never had them until he recommended recommended them to me and now every time i go i have them. well christmas eve night was fun that now, for yes. whatever reason Probably because the kid element. I'm sure any parent can relate to it. Watching your kids open presents on FaceTime is not exactly what you had in mind. You know what I mean? No. That's a tough deal. And so I think that was hard for all of us. And for whatever reason, did it not feel like that day took forever? It just took forever. I just I never felt like a night game took forever to get there the way that felt. Well, here's what I did later on. I actually went to the 1030 showing of Rogue One. Oh, yeah? Because I, I knew I'd have no other chance to see it. Thank you. And uh, our, our food is, our entrees are being brought. Thank you very much. So I go to the 1030 showing of Rogue One. Because there's a movie theater that's about 25 minute walk from the hotel. So I see the movie and then I walk back through the middle of the night. Actually, it wasn't all that cold in Kansas City on Christmas morning. Get back to the hotel at about mm, 125, 130. And then I enjoyed the movie so much, I download the novelization on my Kindle, and I just read it until I fall asleep, and I fall asleep at four. And then the gifts, we delayed the opening of the gifts at my house, so I didn't have to be up in the morning. I just turned the alarm off, and I slept until about one o'clock in the afternoon. So that's how I got past the day seeming so long. I simply... Slept through the morning, slept to the early afternoon, 1 p.m., rise and grind. <laughs> From our conversation the other day. I got the chance to say it. And then, on to, and then on to the game. And then that game was one to forget in a season that oh. <sighs> don't yeah, really want to remember, even though it was a winning season. Not one that's uh, going in the Broncos' ring of honor. Okay, so let me ask you this, Andrew. As we kind of, boy, I know you had a bar debate. I'm not trying to put you off of it, but well, you've just fine. started all these thoughts flowing in my head. That's what I'm here for. Did we not Did we not get a feel? You had the Tennessee loss. Now, for those, just for reference, we're talking December 2016, so everybody can remember. Broncos are 8-4. and four. They're 8-4. and four. They're Early battling for a playoff moment. spot. Yeah. They lose to Kansas City at home, and it was the first time. It was the first time. But then time. they beat Jacksonville. They're 7-3. and three. Lose to KC, beat Jacksonville. So they're 8-4. and four. They've gotten their footing back under them. 
But then they have to Well, play. so we thought. Then they play at Tennessee, New England, at Kansas City, Oakland. Here's the thing for me. The Kansas City game in tw- at home in 2016 was the first time the defense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Trevor Simeon is dueling Alex Smith. You have some great late games heroics. You thought the Broncos were good to go because, remember, Kansas City needed a touchdown and a two-point conversion just to go to overtime, as I remember it, and they lost. The, the defense couldn't hold up on their end of the bargain. It's the first time we saw that defense not be what we thought it was. It looked human. It looked human. But think about what it had to clean up. Remember, you had a couple of costly special teams gaffes. Yeah. Tyreek Hill with a free kick return, and then the penalty um, – where they didn't have the Broncos had an illegal formation rushing the field goal, wipes the field goal off the board, Chiefs turn it into a touchdown. My point in all of this is should we have seen 2017 coming based off how 2016 ended? Because the Patriot game, remember, the defense did do a great job against Tom Brady. Offense couldn't get anything done. Defense is famously hacked off at, at after the game. Kansas City's miserable, and what you knew was just you knew it was coming, right? It was one of those games, kind of like San Diego at the end of, I want to say, the 08 season, where you knew the team had no shot. You are going to lose this mm-hmm. game. We sh- On the one hand, we should have seen it coming. On the other, there were so many other changes, coaching, offensive scheme, et cetera, to where you thought, okay, this should fix things. Of course, we know it turned out differently. The, the scheme was too complex, couldn't be grasped. Trevor Simeon struggled. In some ways, yeah, we should have seen it coming, but then at the same time, I thought, you know, they, they tweaked enough that they would avoid a repeat of it. And it turned out it, it wasn't a repeat. It got worse. You had the eight-game losing streak in the middle of 2017. All right, so that brings me to this. There's sometimes method in the madness. Sports Hill has put out there that they think the Broncos are going to go 4-12. and yes. I, I find that really hard to believe, but am I ignoring too much from last year to give that proper credence? Should we put more into what they said, or does it just feel like out of town, you're not totally paying attention to this team? Okay. Here's where I'm going to go, and I think we're going to do the bar debate on the next podcast because this is a good topic. Because I've derailed you. <laughs> no, but it's fine. We got a little derailed, and that's okay because we discussed this on First and 10 at 10 earlier this month. I took a deeper dive into what that article was asking, league-wide. First of all, it went to the extremes. Do you know that they had 25% of the league finishing 4-12 and or worse? Really? Yes. A quarter of the league? In that article, in that prediction. They actually predicted a tie. They predicted Washington and Tampa Bay to tie. So they're sitting there with the Bucks' predicted record at 2-13-1. and your Tampa Bay brethren, James Gomez, not happy about that. He took great offense to that. <laughs> the Bucks have a tough schedule, but I mean, but a tie. Come on, we're calling a tie. Yeah. What are you doing? The Bucks haven't had a tie since 1980. Sad that I know that off the top of my well, head. Well, and on top of it, how do you predict a tie in the modern NFL? Come on. With two point conversions and everything else, come on. It's random. I don't think that helps the credibility of your argument, but yeah, article. But, but anyway, it was, but in, it was interesting. They had twenty-five percent in the league, four and twelve or worse. I don't see that happening. There's too much balance for that to happen. They had seven teams, twelve and four, better than another few teams that were sitting at eleven and five. So basically, you've got in that article they're expecting a season in which you've got 
a bunch of really good teams and a bunch of really bad teams, and very little in the middle, which kind of goes against what the NFL historically is. Usually you get that muddle in the middle. Seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. A lot of teams closely bunched, games that can go either way. And the other thing is, I think they are underestimating the, the impact that Case Keenum can have, even if he is not all of what he was in Minnesota. Now, yeah, you've had some losses on the roster, C.J. Anderson, Akeem Tlaib, etc. But if Case Keenum is even splitting the difference between what he was with the Rams and what he was with the Vikings, he becomes average to maybe a slightly above if you're going by passer rating. And if he does that, and this defense is maybe not elite, but at least good, then I think that's where your improvement to at least 8-8 eight and eight comes from. See, and the thing is, obviously, this won't be the last time we talk records on this podcast or on our shows or whatever on Orange and Blue 760. But for me, I guess just right now, not seeing everything in full action, full go, with contact, so on and so forth. I like what I've seen in the offseason. But I still, we have to remember, this was a 5-11 and 11 football team. So to me, I, I could see this being somewhere in that 8-8 eight and eight neighborhood. couple things go your way, you're 9-10 wins. couple things go against you. You're maybe not quite that good. I hate to think that you'd slip back to six you know, wins only. But I think you described the entire AFC West there, too. See, and I agree with you. Because, look, Khalil Mack, Khalil Mack's upset. He didn't go to Raiders minicamp. He skipped the whole offseason program. John, John Gruden can think. You know, John Gruden can think he's the genius and he can sound like a genius because it's easy to call it from the booth on Monday Night Football and he may be the best thing for Derek Carr and the Raiders that they've had in a long, long time. But I don't have to remind you, a Tampa Bay fan, of just how rough it was for John Gruden when he ended his first NFL tenure. I think people forget this guy was not, he did not do well with basically a team that was bequeathed to him from Tony Dungy. Yeah, 12-4 and four the first year. So he got that first team better and obviously they won Super Bowl thirty seven. After that, seven and nine, five and eleven. Now, fighting with Keyshawn Johnson. Now, some of that, they were put in a really bad cap situation and a and a bad draft situation because they had to make the trade and give up a bunch of picks for John Gruden. And then his last four years in Tampa Bay, they went eleven and five, four and twelve, nine and seven, nine and seven. Not bad. Not great, but I thought they were making the most of what they had. And I still think it was a major mistake by the Bucks to fire John Gruden after 08. They lost four in a row to close the season. People forget, they were 9-3 and three early December of 08. And they go to Carolina, also 9-3. and three. Basically, the NFC South is on the line that night. And that this is also about the time that rumors start floating around that Monty Kiffin there longtime defensive coordinator who really helped make that defense what it was for over a decade. The rumblings come out that Monty Kiffin's going to follow his son to college football. And that night, the Panthers just ran all over the Bucks like they weren't there. And they could barely stop anybody that month. Believe me, Broncos fans probably know this because if the Bucks had beaten the Chargers in Week 16 at Raymond James Stadium, the Broncos would have gone to the playoffs that year. But the Bucks were free-falling, and the Chargers got the upset. And then the Broncos had to go out there against the Bills later that afternoon, knowing they had, knowing they had to win to clinch the division. And, I, and we've discussed this in the past. Nightmarish game. 
So I would say this. I thought John Gruden was making the most of what he had in Tampa Bay at the end. Wasn't an incredibly talented team. And you had some you had older veterans just kind of barely hanging on. Derek Brooks really didn't have much left at that point, was still playing. But they were competitive. Now the Raiders six so I think the Raiders situation is curious because I don't look at that team being better right now. Now, Derek Carr, I think he'll improve. But I don't, for example, not re-signing Navarro Bowman and bringing in Derek Johnson. I don't think that makes him a better team. Makes him an older team, not a better team. Right. And so a lot of these moves I'm looking at with the Raiders are interesting. The only one I kind of like is Doug Martin. But that's just because there is this really weird trend on Doug Martin that every three years he has... Mm -hmm. 1,400 plus yards, and the other two years, he's in the 400 yard range because of injuries. Well, 2012, 2015 were his two big seasons. So, by that trend, he should be huge for the Raiders this year. But if that trend does not continue, then the Raiders' free agent signees, I don't think they're going to bring much. Losing Marquette King, I don't think that made them better. And I think that was a move made for the wrong reasons. See, it's interesting, man. It's going to get real interesting because um, I, we'll see. Jury's out for me on John Gruden. You know, maybe he comes back, proves to be the great coach he was or was thought of when he left. But uh, sometimes the game passes you by. We'll see. You know, we'll see if the players respond to him. It is a different NFL than what he left, and we're seeing that just in the workouts, so on and so forth. Uh, quickly, I guess just to put a bow on the thought of the Broncos in that 4-12 prediction. If they have some offensive line injuries, that's where I get scared. I can't tell you right now I'm terribly comfortable with the depth along that crew that I think should be better. You and I talked about it on the last podcast. I like the starters that potentially were roll out compared to a year ago. Yes, I do too. And it's but if taken you test a, the depth, it scares me. It's taken a couple of years adding, you know, a Ron Leary here. You're expecting improvement from Garrett Bowles there at the left side. Jared Veldier. It, has, it doesn't bother me that he wasn't out there for OTAs because the key thing is being healthy. He has not been healthy in two years. Getting him healthy is the priority. You know he's going to be able to at least give you stability on the right side if he's healthy. And then at right guard, that'll sort itself out. You know you have Connor McGovern there who can do the job. But that the 4-12 and prediction that SIMMQB had, that only becomes possible, I think, if you have a wave of injuries. O-line. Cornerback. Case Keenum. Yes. But that's true with almost any team. Yeah. Any team that has enough injuries goes from competitive to crap like that. Look at the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson out. Who you JJ. weren't even thinking was going to be the, your, your spark plug this year. Yeah, Deshaun Watson out, J.J. Watt out, and they're sitting there coaching in the senior bowl along with the Broncos. So, yeah, that 4-12 and 12 prediction only becomes relevant if the Broncos have a lot of injuries. And you know what? Sometimes those years happen. You don't know. You, you know, it can be it's, – it's scary to think about, but those years can happen. You just hope that's not the case for the Broncos this year, and that if they can, they can overcome it. If they do have a lot of injuries, then you're relying on these young players a lot more than you were expecting, and then you need a lot of those young guys to hit. And they're going to lean on young players, but not extensively. I think they'll obviously lean on Bradley Chubb more perhaps than initially expected because of Shane Ray undergoing wrist surgery. 
But that's fine. I think Bradley Chubb is up to the task based on what I've seen. I don't have any argument for you. (laughs) (laughs) As usual, you got your final word there, Counselor. Hey, the final word is a relevant word in that one. For Andy Lindahl, I'm Andrew Mason. We'll talk to you next week on the Horse and Round Podcast.